It is my joy to be with you this morning to open up the Word of God and encourage you. Uh, this is my wife, Tanya. I am so grateful to you. Uh, we all often get to do these things together, so it was a joy to have her with me and to be here with you guys this weekend. And uh, I would covet your prayers. Um, St. Louis, much like Baltimore, uh, is separated between the city and the county. Uh, so a lot of these uh, demonstrations are taking place in the city uh, and not far from where we live. And uh, so we just continue to cover your prayers for the city of St. Louis uh, and for all of us who have been called to walk out in this world and make the love of God known in the midst of the brokenness and sin that is in us and in the world. And so I want to share a few words with you um, from Micah chapter 7. And uh, I'm going to begin reading at verse 8 and read down through verse 20. Uh, so hear the word of the Lord. Rejoice not over me, my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls, and that day the boundary shall be far extended. And that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your flock with your staff, the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths, their ears shall be deaf, they shall lick the dust like a serpent. Like the crawling things of the earth, they shall come trembling out of their strongholds, they shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So reads the word of God. Thanks be to God. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master, how many of you all know about the master this morning? of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters he lifted me and now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me when nothing else 
could help. Love lifted me. The prophet Micah in the first part of Micah chapter 7 describes a people who had corporately sunk to a place of deep sin and darkness. Micah, he looks out at the people of Israel and realizes that there is injustice and evil in the community. No one is carrying out God's purposes of justice and righteousness. Micah says, the godly have perished from the earth. There is no one upright among mankind. They all lie and wait for blood, and each hunts with a net, hunts the other with a net. Things are bad in the land. And if you're a basketball fan, I'm not talking about Cleveland either. <laughs> We're talking about God's people. We're talking about the land of God. And so Micah finds himself in a land that is full of misery right now, full of unrighteousness, full of brokenness. And, and the hard things that he is encountering, are, are, they're rooted in two realities. They're rooted, first of all, in the reality of Israel's sin. They are in a hard place because, because they have chosen violence and bloodshed over peace. They have chosen evil over good. They have chosen idols over God. They are in a hard place because of their own sin. And you and I, as we look out at our own lives, we can trace some of the hard stuff we're experiencing, some of the difficult things that, that we are enduring. They, they are rooted in our own mess. They're rooted in our own sinfulness, in our own brokenness. We can look at our broken relationships, and we can realize that the angry words, the selfish agendas, the greed, and the like were what led to that brokenness in our relationships. We can, we can look at our neighborhoods and realize that much of the brokenness is rooted in abandonment and greed and apathy toward the lives of others. In other words, we can see how individually and how corporately the hard things of our life are sometimes rooted in our own rebellion. And yet Micah, Micah acknowledges that even in the midst of that reality, there's also another reality that's at work, and that is that we have enemies. There's this reality of, of people and spiritual forces that array themselves against us that, that intend to cause us harm. And so we can look at Satan and his attacks on us spiritually. We can look at people who don't like us and as a result of that actively work against us. We can look at systems and see the intentional and unintentional harm that is created by, by the broken systems of this world. And, and, and so our sin and the reality of enemies that array themselves against us can put us sometimes in very difficult, hard, dark places. And some of you this morning are in hard places. Some of you this morning are in dark places. You came here this morning not to play church. You came here this morning not to go through the religious motions of Sunday morning, not to pretend like you got it all together. You came here this morning because you're in a hard place and you are crying out to God and you are saying, God, come, deliver, set free, restore, heal, renew. You're crying out to God this morning and here's the good news no matter how you got in the hard place whether through your own sin 
or through the attacks of enemies, natural or supernatural, your hope for deliverance lies in the truth that God is the God of the hard place. That he is the God of the dark place. He is the God who we learn about in Psalm 23, walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He is the God who does not abandon us when we are in hard places, when we are in dark places. And this is where Micah centers his confidence. He and the people, they're they're not yet out of this hard place, this dark place, but his confidence is that God is going to meet them in that place and that he is going to light their way to salvation. Your hope this morning and the hope that God has called you to bring to others is that God will meet, hear our cry, and light our way to salvation when we are in places of darkness. And when he comes, here's what Micah says that he will bring. First of all, Micah says he will bring vindication. In verses 8 and 9, Micah says, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. Now, as you read that, you might say, wait a minute. (laughs) Didn't Israel blow it? How is Micah speaking for the people of Israel? How is he speaking about God pleading their case? How is he pleading about God upholding their cause when they're the ones who are in the wrong? They're the ones who sinned. They're the ones who failed. How can God be talking about vindication and pleading his people's case? I want to remind you this morning. The people of Israel don't belong to God because they're sinless. They don't belong to God because because they are not weak. They don't belong to God because they're strong. They They don't belong to God because of their righteousness. They belong to God solely on the basis of his mercy and his grace. God chose them not because they were the strongest people in the world, not because they weren't hard headed, not because they weren't stubborn, not because they weren't sinful and broken. He chose them out of his own grace and love. So when God pleads our case, when he pleads our cause, he doesn't plead it on the basis of our righteousness. He pleads it on the basis of his righteousness, of his love, of his grace, of his mercy, of his kindness. And so he turns to our enemies. He turns to Satan. He turns to the world as it condemns us. He turns to our own hearts as our own hearts condemn us. And here's what he says. They're weak, but they're mine. They're broken, but they're mine. They may be foolish at times, but they're mine. They may be hard-headed at times, but they're mine. They may be stubborn at times, but they are mine. They belong to me, and I will plead their case. I will plead their cause, not on the basis of their righteousness, but on the basis of my righteousness. We're not vindicated because we are in the right, but because God has chosen us to be his people. God will discipline us, but he will not cast us off. He will rebuke us in our rebellion, but he will not kick us to the curb. (laughs) He will rebuke us when when we fall because of our foolishness, but we will not be abandoned. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. I will rise because God will plead my case. I will rise because God will uphold my cause. This is the glory of the good news of the gospel for all who have their faith in Jesus. 
The Apostle Paul says it this way, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Not because you can't bring a charge against them, but who will bring a charge against those who God has chosen? Listen to what he says. It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So you know what happens when Satan comes and pleads an accusation against you? You know what God says? Yep. But they're mine. The blood of Jesus covers them. And every time Satan accuses. God turns to his son. That's their vindication. The death of my son on their behalf. <laughs> so when Satan condemns you, when your own heart condemns you, when the world around you condemns you, here's what God says. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Woo! That's good news. There's this poem by uh, F. Gilbert. He says, Plead thou my, my cause, thou advocate divine. I have no words, no argument save thine. Speechless I stand before the bar of God, guilty, lost, unless redeemed by blood. Base my behavior, I need a Savior. Mercy, my only plea. Take thou my case, Lord. I trust thy grace, Lord. I will leave my whole defense to thee. Plead thou my cause, thou advocate divine. I need no words, no argument save thine. Show but the wound prints in thy hands and side, and I stand before thee justified. <laughs> the real challenge for us when we are in hard places, in dark places, is not to condemn ourselves, not to give in to the temptation to condemn others when we see them in a hard place in a dark place. If we're in a hard place, a dark place of our own making, it is right for us to repent. It's right for us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It is right for us, if we have stolen from others, to work to restore what we've taken. It's right for us, if our greed has led to others not being clothed, that we take that extra shirt and give it to the one who has none. God longs for our repentance. What he wants to discourage us from doing is condemning ourselves or others in their failures. Instead, it is in the hard places that we most need to remind ourselves and others of the good news of God's love for us and his vindication of us as his children, not due to any righteousness of our own, but due solely to the righteousness of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? So when people blow it, that's not the time to join in the laughter. That's not the time to join in the mocking. That's not the time to join in condemnation. When people are in hard places, that's the time to come alongside your brothers and sisters and to say to them, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, repentance. Yes, faith. Yes, growth. Yes, maturity, but not condemnation. God sees you, and he wants to plead your case because you belong to him. So, so when he comes, he vindicates. But when he comes, we also see his shepherding care at work as well. God not only meets us in dark places, 
to plead our case before our enemies. He comes to shepherd us through those dark places. I mean, you know this. The, the, the damage our sin does, the damage our enemies do to us can leave us in a muddle of difficult circumstances, right? I mean, your own sin creates all kinds of mess in your own life and in the lives of others. And when your enemies attack, it creates all kinds of, of mess and brokenness. And, and you know what you need in the middle of that? You need somebody who knows how to shepherd you out of the mess. Because you who got yourself in the mess don't know how to get yourself out of it. <laughs> you need someone who sees in the darkness as much as he does in the light. When we're in that muddle of difficult circumstances, it can create an abundance of need. It can create wounds that are in desperate need of healing. God doesn't just promise to set us right. What he promises is to lead us through the muddle of brokenness caused by our own sin and that of our enemies. Micah prays to God with confidence that he will answer, shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in the forest, in fertile pasture lands. Let them, let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days long ago, as in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. God, you guys remember? You guys remember the people of Israel at the Red Sea? You remember what happens when they get to the Red Sea, right? They're, they're, they're in this difficult situation. The Red Sea is in front of them. They've got enemies behind them. And what often do we do when we're in hard places? We start complaining. God, why did you bring us out of Egypt in the first place? Why, why, did, you, why did you choose us to be your own people? It would have been better if you had left us where we were. I mean, y'all don't talk like that. I'm just saying I, I heard people talk like that sometimes. I'm talking about y'all. God, we're, we're complaining. We're, and you, remember what, you remember what God says to Moses? Take, take, the, take the staff that is in your hand and lift it up. You remember Moses leads the people through the Red Sea on dry ground. He, he, he shepherds them to the other side of this difficult place. And so Micah prays that God would come and, and, and through the mess and muddle of, of Israel's present sin, he, he says, God, do what you have done in the past. Shepherd your people with your staff. When we were in hard places in the past, you came and met us. Meet us now. And Micah is praying this not for a people who have been faithful. He is praying it for a people who have blown it with God. God, take care of them, shepherd them, lead them, guide them through this mess of their own making. God, help them deal with the taunts of their enemies, the devastation that their sin has caused, and the shame that they have brought on themselves and on your name. Shepherd them through all of this mess. And when you are in a hard place, you need a shepherd. You need one who knows how to discipline you. You need one who knows how to lead you to repentance. You need one who knows how to lead you to healing and restoration. You need, you need, you need a shepherd. And glory be to God. He is the great, he is the great shepherd. In his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, William Philip Keller writes, he says, the strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it is impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Because of the social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from frictions with others of their own kind. 
If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lay down. Only when they are free of these pests can they relax. Lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. And he says it's significant that, that to be at rest, there must be a definite sense of freedom from fear, from, from tension, from aggravations, from hunger. The unique aspect of the picture is that it is only the sheepman himself who can provide release from these anxieties. It all depends upon the diligence of the owner whether or not his flock is free from disturbing influences. And here's what he says. A flock that is restless, discontented, always agitated and disturbed, never does well. And the same is true of people. And can I tell you something? You got a great shepherd <laughs> who is attentive to every single one of your needs. Even when you are in hard places because of your own wandering and your own sinfulness and your own foolishness and your own brokenness. The shepherd doesn't leave you out there. He goes and gets you. He shepherds you back into the fold. Man, I love God. <laughs> His commitment to shepherd us, it does, one, it does require one thing on our part. It requires a willingness to be shepherded by the Lord. Because if we're honest, we are not the easiest people in the world to shepherd. Can I get an Amen. We do a lot of resisting, a lot of wandering. Yet God is faithful to care for us, even in our stubbornness. And so the challenge here is to trust God's care. In our fear, in our, in our fear we often try to heal ourselves. In our, in our fear, we often try, try to work ourselves out of the hard place. We try to restore ourselves and end up running to things that do not actually provide healing at all. We go to our favorite idol our favorite source of temporary relief. And you know what your idols are. I don't need to tell you what they are. You know the places you run when you are in hard places that are not in keeping with where God wants to take you. And so we can turn to alcohol and drugs and entertainment and apathy and the like. And these things, of course, are they're poor substitute for God's care, for his healing. And, and instead, we need to be led to the things that really bring healing. We need to be led to God's word, to the fellowship uh, with his people, to learning to forgive others, to worship in the Lord's presence, to, to prayer at his feet. All of those blessings and benefits that God has given us in the body, we need to take advantage of those things. And that is where God wants to shepherd us. It is in these things that God will begin to work in our lives to refresh us, to restore us. Don't lose yourself in alcohol hoping to numb yourself. Don't lose yourself on the internet hoping to numb yourself. Don't, don't, don't lose yourself uh, in uh, uh, just entertaining yourself all day. <laughs> to try to ignore the brokenness that's going on in your own heart and in the world around you. Don't, don't turn to those places. There is no long-term sustaining in those things. There is only more crashing and burning at the end of that road. The Lord wants to shepherd you. He wants to draw you to the source of healing and let him do that. Lastly, when the Lord comes, he doesn't just vindicate us. He doesn't just shepherd us. Micah says he forgives. 
full, free, bountiful forgiveness. I said earlier that we are often in hard places individually and corporately because of our own sin. Let's face it, we do really sinful stuff individually, corporately. We break covenant with God and with other people in countless ways. Parents sin against their kids, kids against their parents, husbands against their wives, neighbors against neighbors. Folk in leadership do sometimes abuse their authority. Folk being led sometimes do unjustly rebel against their leaders. We sin against God and against each other and sometimes grievously. And yet here's the remarkable thing about God. It's the thing that blows all of our minds, right, when we actually think about it, is that God is full of forgiveness towards sinful, broken people. Listen to Micah again. Who's a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot. You will hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. I don't know where you are this morning in terms of your relationship with God, in terms of your relationship with others. Perhaps you are in a season where you feel far from God. Perhaps you are in the midst of deep relational brokenness. Perhaps it's rooted in your own, uh, your own rebellion. I got news for you this morning. God forgives sinners. And all you have to do is cry out to him. God, forgive me. God, heal me. God, restore me. You know what he says? I will forgive. Can I tell you something? God don't have no other people to work with other than sinners. I came not to call the righteous, the sinners, to repentance. If you will turn to him, he will cast your sins into the depths of the sea. And that's his promise the promise he has fulfilled in the person and work of his son and our Lord Jesus Christ. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, Jesus says. So even now, as you sit under my voice, you can cry out to the Father through Jesus, and he will hear you, he will forgive you, and he will lead you back to himself. Now, when I was a teenager, my friend and I decided we would go down to a store that was down the street from, from my house. And we didn't have any money, but we went anyway. You know where this story is going. <laughs> so we decided we should, we should steal something out of the store. Now, I didn't want to go along because I knew what it would mean if I got caught. And I'm not talking about the police either. I'm talking about mama and daddy. But I went along. So, I, so we went in, and for, for whatever reason, which I still to this day cannot explain to you, I decided to steal some seeds. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about sunflower seeds. I'm talking about the seeds you plant in the ground. <laughs> I don't know, maybe I was supposed to be a farmer in real life, and that was coming to expression in that moment. But I stuffed some seeds down my pants, I headed for the door, only to be caught <laughs> by one of the employees in the store. And uh, when I was caught, I was, of course, scared out of my mind. I didn't want to go to juvenile. I most certainly did not want to confront Linda and Clarence Ward. But the police came, and luckily for me, or should I say providentially for me, the store owner did not want to press charges. 
but I'm sure he went back into his office afterwards and laughed himself silly. <laughs> However, <laughs> the police were called. They decided that they would take me home and explain to my mom what happened, which they did. So they drove me home. They get me out of the car. They take me upstairs uh, in this apartment complex we lived in, take me all the way up to the third floor. They knock on the door. My mom answers, and you could see the look on her face immediately. Um, all I can remember is not a look of anger, but a sh look of shame on my mom's face. She was so disappointed. And I don't remember getting a whipping. I just remember being sent to my room where I sat for a couple of hours also ashamed of what I had done. And then my mom came into the room, and in her motherly voice, she told me how disappointed she was. But then she ended it by letting me know that she loved me, that she forgave me, because I was her son. Don't fall victim to Satan's lies. The Lord is full of compassion and full of forgiveness for those who cry out to him. If we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, but how often, how, how committed is God to that? Uh, you know, Peter comes to, to Jesus, he said, listen, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And you remember what Jesus says, what did he say? Should I do it seven times, Jesus? And of course, he thought he was doing a great thing. What does Jesus say? No, I don't tell you seven times, I tell you 70 times seven. Why? Because your Lord is full of forgiveness for you. And every single time you turn your heart back to him, he forgives. God made a promise long ago that he would bless Abraham's descendants and make them a display of his goodness in the world. And the Lord is faithful to his promises. And if you're a Christian, then you are a beneficiary of that promise of God and so God says to you, when you have messed up, when you have blown it, when you have turned away from him, here is this invitation. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That's the invitation that God extends to you, brothers and sisters, this morning. You are his, the sheep of his pasture. And he says to you this morning, even you who are in a hard place, I am your God, who have come to vindicate you, to shepherd you, and to forgive you. Amen? Amen, Amen people of God.